Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jamie Baines. Today's guest is New York Times bestselling author Peter Abrahams. I've been a reader of Peter's novels for over 20 years and am thrilled that he agreed to be on the podcast. The interview was originally scheduled for a week prior, but a work issue came up and I asked Peter if he could reschedule. He gave me another date and that one fell through on my end as well. He patiently sent me a few more available dates and I was finally able to get it done. I think the fact that Peter, as I mentioned, a best-selling author, was patiently able to give me additional dates after I had to cancel without ever having met me before. So without further ado, here's our interview. I hope you enjoy it. And welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Peter Abrahams. He is a best-selling author and a very prolific author as well. How are you, Peter? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. I'm going to try not to act like a big fanboy because I've been a fan of your writing for absolutely years. So I am honored, absolutely honored to have you as a guest on my show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Can you give us a little background on um, on where you were raised, how you grew up, and kind of how you got into to reading and then writing? Well, yes. Well, I grew up um, kind of in several places. My dad was from Boston, and my mother was from Ottawa, Canada. So I lived during my early school years in Canada. I was born in Boston, too. Um and then I went to college in Massachusetts and, um, you know, eventually I live, you know, in Mass, still live in Massachusetts, but I've lived in other places. But basically, I'm a Massachusetts kind of guy, <laughs> good and bad. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know, in terms of I was all I always loved reading. My mom was a writer, um, mostly for TV. And she I was very lucky. She taught me most of what I know about writing probably by the time I was 12 years old, Um, which is incredible because it's so young. It's the same thing as, is when you get sort of some young tennis player who gets the strokes down at the age of five, you know, you can build it's such a solid foundation. And so I was really lucky. I mean, she had all these rules, um, you know, that, okay. So here's an example. Uh, She would say, sentences should connect through the force of the ideas connecting. So if you find yourself using a lot of connecting words, like nevertheless, however, to be sure, go back and rethink the thought part. She hated those connecting words. It's a sign of bad. Anyway, she had a million. I absorbed all, you know, if you, if you can say something in one word that other people do in three words, do it in one word. You know, do make a sentence work. Never write a sentence that's only about character. Make it advance the plot at the same time or some other thing like that. So I had all this stuff by the time I was 12 years old. And not only that, but, uh, you know, the imagination, of course, I'm a fiction writer, plays a huge role in fiction. And and a lot of people think, well, what, what can you do? Can you even expand or train your imagination? And she was a believer that you could. And her big rule in that was push every idea you get as far as you can while still making it credible. In other words, like if you're digging out a mine, don't leave it half dug out. Go to the, go to the very back. So I had all this and that's how I got started. I, um, I worked a little bit. The best job I ever had, and it's probably still the best job I ever had, is my 
summer job. I was a spear fisherman in the Bahamas. That's what I used to do in the summers and for a little while after that. But no one my age is still spearing fish for a living. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an extremely dangerous occupation just to start with because it's all done with free diving down there in the islands, of course. Um, Anyway, I, you know, I tried this and that. I worked a bit in radio and I, I was okay at it and I but I, I wanted to write, and I eventually had an idea for a book, and I wrote it, and um, that was The Fury of Rachel Monette. It came out in 1980, and that's work-wise, that's all I've done ever since, is write novels. With the, I've written uh, a couple screenplays um, that were adapted, where um, filmmakers had optioned some of my own work, and but I was never the first writer called in. I was <laughs> called in on my own project as the third or fourth writer. So I've done a, a couple, a couple of that, those things, and that was that was a real education. But mainly just writing novels. So most of them under my own name, Peter Abrahams, except for the Chet and Bernie mystery series, which I write under the Spencer Quinn um, moniker, and a couple little things for children that are also dog related that I write under that. So. That's really my story. And how did the um, because I've read a lot of your early works, like with the fan and Oblivion, um, and is that kind of when you started really hitting your stride with with your writing? Because you're like I said, you're very prolific. How many books do you have under your belt? Would you say? Well, it's in the forties. Wow. Um, wow, I haven't exactly counted it, but it's in the forties. If you include the novels for children. Mm-hmm. which are real novels, but they tend to be slightly shorter, but not incredibly. So like, for example, I wrote um, the Echo Falls series. Um, and in fact, that I don't know about hitting my. OK, I think Down the Rabbit Hole, which is the first of the Echo Falls series, came out right. It might have been actually the same year as Oblivion. Um, so I was certainly well, here's my answer, James. I, I'm hoping to I, I'm still hoping to hit my stride. That's <laughs> <laughs> that that I'll leave, you know that's my um yeah so I, I i don't know i love what i do i think it's obvious and um and so i do it it's that's it, with 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 the books you're talking about like the fan and oblivion this i wrote 17 standalone mm-hmm. crime fiction novels that are all different where i i tried to do things that no one else was doing or maybe they were doing some parts of it, but I wanted to do it in a different, in a different way. And at the end of that period, I actually sort of thought that I had exhausted that. And that's what led me into, for a while, more of the children's writing and also, and then into the Chet and Bernie Mysteries series. That, so basically, for listeners who don't know, the, the Chet and Bernie Mysteries are, they're basically private eye type novels that, that go back you know, to you know, Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, where the where the sidekick tells the story in the first person. You know, Doctor Watson tells Sherlock Holmes's stories, but in this case, the detective is Bernie. He's a private eye in Arizona, and um, Chet is his dog who tells the story in the first person. But he's not a talking dog. He's as canine <laughs> as I could make him. So, uh, which is a challenge, but there are plenty of rewards in it, and I. Originally, I was just going to write two, but they of them, the dog on it was the first, and thereby hangs a tail was the second, and and um, 
they, I mean, I, anyway, they caught on and bark to the future. The 13th <laughs> comes out in August. So, but they can be read in any order because I get asked this question a lot. What order should they be read in? Okay. These are narrated by, by Chet the dog. He would never ask a question like that <laughs> about the, the order of reading the book. Do you laugh out loud with, because a lot of people who haven't read or any of your novels, obviously are fantastic. The Chet and Bernie, I can't, is so is so unique, and when you read the first one and you realize that the dog is the one narrating it, and it, it is just, you, I think you can clearly tell that you're a dog lover and a dog owner just by the way that you write um, uh-huh. Chet's character and the, the mannerisms that you have him doing are just hilarious. Well, I would never admit to laughing out loud at my own work. <laughs> I can tell you, I've laughed out loud of very, very, very much of your work because <laughs> you. it is just it is absolutely. I'm going to let people know they really need to to read it. But th- did you find it hard to write from a dog's point of view? Well, I mean, that was the question, you know, going in. Um, the way it started was one night at dinner, my wife said. Okay, first of all, we've always had dogs, right? And your point, James, is absolutely right. We never, I never could have done this had, you know, I not had dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, And and my wife said, um, you should do something with dogs. And, well, I knew she, you know, I've had dogs. And, well, for example, you mentioned Oblivion. Okay, there's a dog named Buster who has a kind of trot on role in that book. And reviewers even commented on it you know, the dogs in my, but you never, you weren't presented with the world as they saw or Mm -hmm. smelled or heard it. They were, um, in fact, until I wrote the Chet and Bernie novels, I never wrote in the first person at all. All my work was third person. So I knew my wife couldn't have been talking about, you know, have another dog character in in a book. And it occurred to me, you know, that it must be, I had to make the dog central and therefore, narrating so i had i don't know the the novel writing business is odd because you know sometimes um six months worth of work can happen in 30 seconds (laughs) you know okay but yeah but uh, but you know but the the reverse is also true right so you have to be forewarned on that so i in in about 30 seconds i knew that i wanted to write the you know a, a novel uh, a detective type novel well i wanted to write a novel in the first person from a dog point of view <laughs> second i wanted it to be a mystery novel as i already mentioned the type going back to conan doyle the private eye sidekick tells the story but the third i guess if you want to call it like a leg of a stool was that this dog uh the voice of this this dog would not be a talking dog <laughs> the dog would not it would be as canine as i could make him mm-hmm. the dog would not know anything a dog shouldn't know um <laughs> which, and, which therein lies a lot of the humor and just the way that you just <laughs> describe the way that chet thinks and i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt you but that's no you didn't that's You're exactly <laughs> first of all you can interrupt whenever you want i mean <laughs> so uh, what i did was at, at that point where i described so i I went over to my office that's the very same evening and um, I wrote what became the first page of Dog on it. This is an answer to your question. How hard, you know, did I find it hard just to see if it worked? Um, and then I brought it back to my wife and, you know, she read it and we voted two to zero that it worked, you know, 
you know, and, um, and, and, but I've lost plenty of votes within the family, believe me. Um, <laughs> this is one of my rare victories. And, um, I, and so that became, anyway, I found, I loved writing the voice. <clears throat> so obviously there are challenges, but there are rewards too. And I kind of found this as I went along because a dog's perception of, well, you know, human beings, the, their visual sense is so primary, but with dogs, it, it, there's a case to be made that it's actually number three, that, you know, the sense of smell and the sense of hearing are more important, or certainly the sense of smell is more important. Mm-hmm. And hearing, their hearing is so acute. So a lot of the Chet's world is is seen through those senses more than visual. And so uh, these books have a wholly different approach to what the world is like. And But it, when you write a mystery novel there, you know, the plot of a mystery novel is, well, I hope, and you're the expert on this, are is very close to the solving of a real crime where, you know, you collect a whole bunch of clues and, and you put them in a logical order that leads to a deduction. Well, Chet is incapable of that. <laughs> and, and even if a clue, an important clue came along, he, you know, he might be sniffing, you know, a Cheeto under a cushion and, and he misses it. So he actually became, you know, what they teach in MFA schools, like as an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Well, I never went to those schools, but I, I stumbled, I guess, on, on. So he's an unreliable narrator. And when you marry that to the strict um, plotting of a mystery novel, all of a sudden I found that the whole thing had gotten blown up and and it felt very fresh to me. And that fresh feeling 13 books later is still there. And as long as, you know, you're a writer and you have when the material feels fresh to you, you've had you have the wind at your back. So the short answer to the question is all writing is hard for me. It has been from the very beginning and it still is, but um, it's doable. And I feel I have the wind at my back with Chet and Bernie. And how did you go from uh, or how did you decide to set them in the Midwest or, or in Arizona, the far west, I guess, because that's oh, yeah. and you talk a lot about the uh, the aquifer. Or did I pronounce it right? Is it aquifer? Aquifer? Aquifer, yeah. Aquifer. That's, yeah a very, that's a very central theme um, it, it with Bernie. <laughs> yes. Bernie well, is very okay, concerned so about that. He is, because out in the desert, I mean, you know, water is, you know, going way, way back mm-hmm. in our history. You know, water is, at west of the Mississippi, water is is and always has been a big issue. And and certainly um, it's come up in fiction before. I mean, the famous movie Chinatown is about water. And and um, so I thought it would be – And but it helps us with Bernie's character. You you know, he, he's – although he's not a, a card carrying anything, um, he – in practice, he has a lot of environmental concerns mm-hmm. for sure. Anyway, what – first of all, I – I love the desert. I love Arizona. Um, what I wanted, I wanted Chet to be in a place where there's a big urban area, but surrounded by vast wilderness because he's a dog, right? And mm-hmm. and he interacts with the animal world. And I so I wanted those two things to be together. And Arizona is a very is a place where that happens. So they live in what Chet refers to as the valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's modeled on Phoenix which is such a big city, but the vibe is actually more like Tucson. So um, 
for the first six books, it, it, you never actually know that it's Arizona because Chet only knows what he hears mm-hmm. about. You know, he doesn't <laughs> know what a map is. But in book six, where which is the sound and the furry, where they take a case in Louisiana. And while they're there, this witness they're interviewing listens to Bernie talking and he says, you're not from here, are you? And, and Bernie says, no, we're from Arizona. And the next line, I think, is something like, ah, we were from Arizona. I'd wondered about that. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing you can do in a long series. You know, halfway through the sixth book, you reveal where, yeah, where yeah. it's actually taking place. <laughs> and also, I like how you refer to, to um, Chet, the, or Bernie, I guess, refers to it, the nation within the nation, right, for the dogs. Yes, Bernie has this concept that um, the dogs constitute a nation within the nation, um, or just in short form, the nation within. And I think some of the readers have actually adopted it, you know, and use <laughs> use the phrase. And is Bernie and Chet so far your most popular series? Um, or I guess because you have you said you have a you have other uh, a, a young reader series as well, which also involves a dog and a cat, right? There, yeah, there's that, the Queenie and Arthur, um, which I would say for his like 10 or 11 year olds. And, and in that one, well, Scholastic Press, the children's publisher, asked me if I could write cat as well as dog. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, but I took a swing at it, and there is a series, and I actually enjoyed it. Um, I did alternating chapters. Um, and so. I don't know in terms of, I mean, the series is, you know, I mean, we're still, I'm putting food on the table, so, (laughs) and not getting complaints. So that's good. I would, if, I mean, I'm allowed to say, so after Bark to the Future, um, my next book, there'll be more Chet and Bernie, but the next book coming out, not this summer, but 2023, is a Peter Abrahams novel called Mrs. Plansky's Revenge, and a a standalone kind of... It's hard to call it. It's sort of a mystery novel, novel. Just it's a novel, um, which I really enjoyed writing. And, and that'll be out after that. And there are no dogs. It's not a dog thing at all. And so why why the uh, why Spencer Quinn for Chet and Bernie instead of your real name? Be, well, you know, I actually regret that decision. Um, I think there was some the marketing type people said, well, when they you know, they, they all when doggone it appeared, you know, as a something to see if anyone wanted to publish it, there was plenty of interest, but, um, there was some mark, I don't know, marketing fear that because my earlier, my other work, well, was, was not maybe, maybe the humor wasn't as broad or, and they were much darker and they were in the third person and they were narrated by a dog and people thought, maybe there was a market out there for Chet and Bernie that was going to be missed Mm -hmm. because of this. So it was a marketing type decision and, and marketing has a lot of power just because of the fact that they're called marketing. (laughs) And I, so I folded in front of them uh, on that one. And, and then of course I was trapped in it, right? Because how in the middle of it, can you change back? Um, It's not a secret, you know, they're obvious. Maybe it was less known in the beginning, and now everybody knows. So, um, I mean, that's the answer. It's just one of those things. It's not the worst thing that ever happened in the world. <laughs> no, not no, not at all. And the yeah. the artwork on the uh, the series is fantastic as well. Did you? Is that your artwork, or did the uh, publisher decide on the artwork, or oh, do you yeah, get to approve it? I, I get I get sort of approval, yes, but they do all the work. 
on that. Because they're but all, like they're all the fantastic. Yeah. And have you yeah. said what kind of dog that Chet is? He's, I know he's a big one. Um, and you mentioned it, it, that he's a big one. <laughs> like, uh, what, he's, he, he's 100 plus pounds. Yes, All yes. he knows is what he hears. You know, when people are rude enough to talk about his appearance in front of <laughs> him, <laughs> he picks up certain things. So he knows he's heard, he knows he's a hundred plus pounder. Mm -hmm. His ears don't match and he's some kind of mix. <laughs> and that's all, that's all we know. That's, and that's great. Because, and that makes sense because again, we're hearing it from his point of view. So unless somebody calls him what he is, and like you said, he forgets a lot of stuff too. And you're very upfront about, <laughs> about him being an unreliable narrator. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, there, as there are some things that he'll never forget. I mean, that are just so, you know, certain smells and other things like that. Once he has them, he's got them. Um, and that's why he's such a danger to the perps. It's one of the reasons. But there are other things that he really can't hang on to. <laughs> so, um, yeah, which is just, for me, is another enjoyable thing about writing the character. But that's it. So that's all we know about his appearance. So one of the things, if that's a good idea, um, one of the things I think that makes it a good idea is that it allows you know, the reader to bring something to mm -hmm. the table, you know, and the reader to imagine. And, and uh, you know, don't forget there's the reader, and I, which is so important, and, and there are a lot of readers who really enjoy this series and let me know about it, which means a lot. Mm -hmm. But the reader, you know, you engage with the reader's imagination. I think that's one of the reasons that the reading experience is so powerful because it's not passive. I think it's one of the differences between movies and and novels is um in a movie you're much more passive you know the, the, everything is done to you know using powerful technological forces to Im immerse yeah. you and pull you along but it's done for you you don't have to really yeah think. it's done for you when you're reading you're a partner mm -hmm. and uh and i think that's a great thing it's one of the things i love about reading do you do you ever like with the burden um um Blah. Boy, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, the Chet and Bernie series. You you said you're on 13 now? Is the made third the bark, bark to the Future coming out August 9th. Do you um, have a hard time keeping um, what has happened in previous novels straight? Or like you said, do you not necessarily need need that when you write it? Like any, well, it past I, I don't want to make mistakes. Um, so I do... Okay, so the basic... So little things that might happen... What I do, okay, this is the great thing about everything being digital. I can easily just search through all, you know, the other manuscripts and and find out very quickly. So a little warning bell goes off, maybe, if I'm missing something or if I've forgotten something. And then I look it up and I see. And sometimes, you know, when I go for one of these little things, I see, oh, here's a character that I actually could bring, you know, in for a scene or two now because that character was doing interesting things and I can develop. That, you know, it's almost like weaving. I can now put something, put this thread that was lurking there. <laughs> I can now introduce, I can reintroduce it. So that's the answer. Yes, of course, you've got to, you know, try to, you know, you don't want to contradict mm -hmm. yourself in the, in the series for sure, because readers will find you. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And let you know, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And let absolutely. you know. Yeah. We, we know a lot of authors insert their own kind of personal politics into their their works, and I haven't noticed that with um, your books, and especially obviously the uh, you know Burning Chet. Do you uh, 
have you noticed that? And do you necessarily care if an author kind of injects their own politics into their work? No matter what side of the aisle they're coming from or what they're saying. If it's part of the story, if it's an integral part of the story that's important to one of the elements of the story, Mm -hmm. then if it serves the story, yes. If it doesn't, no. Um, uh, Everything in the book should advance the story. Mm -hmm. Now, so one of the things, you know, my nothing about my politics is in any of my books mm-hmm. um, f- for many reasons. One is I'm no expert on politics, right? I'm not, my opinion is worth no more than anybody else's. Um, I think it's obvious if you read my work that I, you know, love this country. Um, it me, it's history is, 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 a, you know, even the bad parts, but it's just, it's, it's a wonderful story. You know, our, you know, this the story of this country and, um, and that's really as far as, yeah, that's as far as I go. And obviously I care about, you know, the, you know, I react very much to the beauty of this land mm-hmm. and I don't want to see it degraded and, you know, obvious things like that. But none of that, the, the, I'm totally in the books in a kind of way, but I'm as far behind the scenes as I can get. Mm-hmm. That's what I, yeah. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that about, about your work. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. I wanted to back up a little bit because I meant to ask you this because, again, writing adult books and also books for younger kids, is there a difference in in the way that you write those necessarily, the content? I know you said that they're a little shorter for the kids, but how about the content? Do you have to—I mean, but you're not—you don't generally, that I've noticed, really curse in the in your novels that much anyway. Do you have to tone anything back, though, regardless when you're writing the younger versions? Well, I wouldn't— yeah, I mean, I, but, but I don't. I think it just happens automatically. I never think to myself, "Oh, here's a list of words I now can't use," and <laughs> and these are situations that can't happen. I mean, I'm sort of, I try to be sensible, James, you know, and and so, um, yeah, I I don't I, I and don't I, I sort of I put myself in the mind of these kids and and don't forget I was a kid, right. so <laughs> you know. <laughs> So that's, you know, one of the things that people say, how can you write about? Well, you know, these are, I was a kid and it's, we're kind of like trees, you know, with the rings inside. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I can get to that, the 13 year old ring. <laughs> parts of me never, <laughs> parts of me never grew past that. And um, yeah, so that's, that's um, not an issue. And as for, uh, as for cursing and stuff like that, I, it, it, there's very little in the Chad and Bernie series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as there was a time in literature where it was kind of shocking and uh, fresh almost to see that and realistic. But now um, with it's so common and widespread, uh, my inclination is to avoid common and widespread. Um, just going all the way back to what I talked about, you know, my mother's sort of cult of being original. And um, so there is, I know that, okay, in Mrs. Plansky's Revenge, which is, okay, so she's a a 71-year-old widow, and she's the main character. It's written in the third person. But I think she says, damn, a couple times, and darn, a few times. (laughs) And and I was thinking, I'm going to, at first I thought, I'm going to go with all darn. 
not one not even one damn and then i thought when i read it over i thought nah you know it's okay when it when she's really feeling strongly it'll be that that's <laughs> so yeah so that's it but you can convey everything with you know other words mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. um you can yeah and so yeah so that's that's my answer to that and you keep chet and bernie pretty pretty light um uh, but they've gone dark a couple times. One in one there was a kidnapping that was referenced, um, and so I was just curious. Do you try to keep them light, but kind of let a, a darker maybe episode get in there? From well, time to time? I don't think of them as you know that term cozies. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. They're not cozies. No, I agree um, with you. I agree with you hundred percent. And they have a and the and the sort of the voice is 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 a noirish voice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, and, and dark things can happen for sure. I think what I found was, and this is, uh, I didn't really sort of do it deliberately, but I, I, it's one of those discoveries that, um, and it was pointed out to me, I, I, some reader said what, this is something I like about it is Chet, that bad things can happen and Chet can see bad things and hear them. Or bad things can happen to him, but he bounces back to his reset position (laughs) very quickly. He does. And his reset position is one of joy in life. Mm -hmm. And I actually try to imitate him in that, in that, in that regard. Um, So I think that's really that these are in many ways, they're closer to a noir. They're a combination. They're not cozies, but they're, uh, maybe light, light noir then, like a kind of cafe au lait noir is, <laughs> is, is what they are. And that leads me to my, my final kind of point I wanted to touch base with you on. You know, people today, they're saying these are some pretty some pretty bleak times and, you know, everything kind of going on. Um, and people want to try to stay positive. How Do you consider yourself a positive person? And if so, how do you stay so positive? Well, that's a great, great question. And I have no leadership in me and, and on this, and I know no more than I don't know any. I know no more than anybody else. But um, I, first of all, I find myself becoming more positive as I go along. Um, and I just, I, but I have no. I mean, for me, you know, the fact that I have, you know, work that I love to do. I think that's an important thing, but it, it isn't for something so many people who have to work and don't love it. Um, you know, and then there's family and then I have, I'm very, I mean, I've always been physically active. So I either, it's very rare that I have a day where I don't have exercise or some, you know, like today I've already played tennis, for mm-hmm. example, and, and I ride my bike or I hit the gym or I go for a swim at the beach. And, and I think there's a, you can, you can kind of fool your mind by making the body happy at times. And, and, uh, that's all I can tell you. It's a very poor answer. That's <laughs> no, I think, I, I think it's a fantastic answer. <laughs> Is there anything else that I haven't, that I haven't asked you that you kind of want to get across to people uh, your books are just fantastic. You said you got Thank you. the new one coming well, out, a different, the Santa Luna coming out next summer, you said. Yes. Okay. So Bark to the Future comes out in August. Okay. And my publicist says I have to always say it's now available for pre-order. <laughs> and, uh, and, oh, I also have a book of short, of Chet's short stories, uh, three of them called Short Tales, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, just digital. It's digital only. And, um, and then next summer, Mrs. Plansky's Revenge. Um, 
comes out and then by that time there'll be another chet and bernie ready ready i um chet i i chet has a blog chet the dog uh, I, saw, <laughs> I saw that too. so i should mention that and and he's also on facebook uh chet the, you know facebook slash chet the dog so yeah that's um and there are little communities that have risen up there and you can check those out but yeah that's really all i have to say i um i really appreciate you uh calling yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Like I said, I'm a, a huge fan. I'm honored that you came on, and um, I'm just going to keep on reading what you're writing. Well, the pleasure was mine. Thanks for having me, James. Very nice to have met you. Thanks, Peter. Take care of yourself. You as well. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. That's it, guys. What would you think of Peter? I am constantly amazed that guests whom I've never met are willing to chat with me for a half hour and share stories of their life and their viewpoints. With Peter, I'm sure that I come off sounding like a fanboy, but the fact that I get to interview an author I read for over two decades and who I still read is somewhat surreal. A point that Peter makes toward the end of the interview resonates with reasons that this podcast exists. We were talking about dealing with dark things in life, and Peter mentioned that Chet, the dog narrator of his Bernie and Chet series, just seems to bounce back and reset when something bad happens to him. I think that's what we all need to strive for in life. A nice, big reset when things look their darkest. That's all I've got for this episode. I'd like to thank Peter for coming on the podcast, and I encourage everyone listening to pick up one of his novels and try to get your own reset. Thanks for listening.